This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Saubona Saddleback. And if you're watching us online or from one of our campuses across the world, we just want to say welcome. We're so excited that you're here and we're expecting God to do incredible things for you because we are one family in many locations. And I know some of those locations are going, oh, what was that greeting? I mean, I heard that he's from Texas, but what? what? Oh, well, that's because your boy's originally from Zimbabwe. So my name is Reward Sabanda. Everybody say Sabanda. <laughs> no, but you got to say some Africanism, you know what I'm saying? Some gravitas. You just gotta, I know it's in you. It's going to come out of there. But, uh, man, I'm so excited to be here. My wife's here. Hey, babe, wave to God's people. Come on. That is... Uh, my Enneagram 7 wife, her name is uh, Pam, and uh, she is incredible. Listen, I'm, I'm married to the best person in the planet. You may have an opinion, but I have the mic. Come on, somebody. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, uh, she's also Zimbabwean like I am, but um, we met here. So it, basically, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I'm in an arranged marriage, y'all. But no, not the African one that you're thinking about. I mean, like, she arranges everything in our marriage. And I just show up and I do exactly what I'm told. And it's been easy, easy. Just joy. But um, so excited about her and um, just being here. Uh, we have a, a three-month-old. And uh, his name is Silo, which means lion in uh, Zulu. Now, I don't have any pictures because we're trying to take a California-worthy picture but then he just threw up on his outfit and then just smiled like he foiled an evil plan. And I was like, but if I can help you imagine what he looks like, hey, take um, attitude and appetite and wrap it up in cuteness and then sprinkle some melanin and that's, uh, that's your boy's boy. But um, man, we are so, so incredibly um, excited uh, to be here. Now, just one basic rule of thumb, because I'm African, right? Um, I want to tell you guys that my conversation and our communication is dialogical. That means I'm what you call a hollaback preacher. Come on, somebody. Yeah, there we go. You guys get it. So for some of you guys who do not, because I know there's a, is some spots of vanilla in the room, listen to this. If you've ever had a black church fantasy where you want to shout and talk back when someone is talking, it's not rude at all. Your boys got you, right? And if you're an Enneagram 9 and you're like, why do I shout? It's very simple. Anything. Hey, preach it, African. Come on, somebody. Here's a good one for you. My, 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 my. Right? <laughs> Just say that and uh, I'm telling you, it's going to be great. But hey, it is such an honor for me to be here because I truly stand on a platform of radical transformation. Uh, pastor Rick is a pastor to this generation. His, 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 his gift and his heart and his love for God and his people changed me cross-continentally. And I can truly say that he affected the trajectory, and that's one of the reasons that I am here. So I honor him. I honor the teaching team that's over here, the pastoral team. And um, listen, I'm going to tell you all something, and I'm, I'm not even being prophetic or whatever. I'm going to tell you all something, and it is 100% God truth. You, if you go to Saddleback or one of our campuses, you have the best leadership and pastoral team within a five-mile radius of wherever you are, right? <laughs> Beyond that, I can't lie, I can't speak about that, but within five miles, uh, we have the best team in there, and so I'm excited for what God is doing. But we all know that uh, that type of excellence that we see in the house and everything um, only follows a specific time of leadership, and y'all, 
Let me tell you all this. Uh, Pastor Andy and uh, Pastor Stacy are leaders for this generation. Um, man, social psychologists say the indictment on this generation is that we are what you call a VUCA generation, V-U-C-A. And basically what they're saying is it's a generation of volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. Basically, those are just $10 words to say nobody knows what the heck they're doing, right? But, but what they said is a VUCA generation needs a VUCA leader, a leader with profound vision, right? Great understanding, like precision and clarity and great agility to be able to take the generation where it needs to go. And when I had a conversation with Pastor Andy, when I saw him lead, and him and Stacey, I was like, they are truly what we need, man. They are incredible people, love God, love their family, love each other. But they're just good old down-to-earth people. I'm talking about like sweet potato pie down to Never mind, I'm in California. I'm talking about kale salad and gluten-free <laughs> croutons down-to-earth, right? <laughs> but hey, uh, Pastor Andy and Stacy, honor y'all, honor the gift. And I'm so thankful that you guys have me here to close out week uh, four of our transferring trust series, which has been such an incredible series. I know whenever we talk about money, money is weird and money is awkward because uh, it is the measure, unit of measurement for value within our community and our societies. But Pastor Andy, has, as, as God has just given me a grace for stewardship, has done a masterful job in navigating this conversation. So just in the invitation to close it out and in prayer and preparation, I felt to approach it from a slightly different perspective. But I want to approach this from the perspective of someone who grew up in a context where we didn't have a lot of money. I'm just being modest, y'all. We were poor. No, we were poor. Like, we couldn't even afford the, the OR. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we were so poor, we used to eat what I call a lot of Zulu potluck. That means if there's anything in the pot, you're in luck. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but uh, I, I truly think it was because um, there were a lot of us. Let me ask you, how many of you guys have siblings over here? Oh, man, God bless y'all. All right, how many of over six siblings? All right, uh, okay, old school, I see y'all. How many of over 10? Listen, not a single one. Your boy has 12 siblings. There's 13 of us, same mom, same dad, y'all. That's like, I was talking to Pastor David, he's like, I'm, I'm just, how do you guys even get to places? I know, right? It's one of those. But uh, here's the thing that you guys, I'm number 11 of that 13. And here's something that you guys know, if you have Instagram or whatever, if you're a parent, uh, child number one, everything is a Kodak moment, right? You get to child number six, you only get the special stuff, graduations or when, like, you win a Nobel Peace Prize, you get a picture. Child number 11, you're the one taking the family pictures, y'all. It's like, I'm, t I'm telling y'all, man, it's, it's one of those things. Hey, the first kid, they sterilize everything. You guys have seen that. When you get to number 11, you drop your bottle, they just kick it over, you know? It's like the antibodies, germs are good for you. But you can also tell because your boy's name is Reward, right? How creative is that? Listen, the firstborn, you, you can tell that my parents were in. The firstborn is Owen, right? Good name. It makes sense and everything. Number, my name is Reward, y'all. I always picture it this way. I think um, whenever, you know, my dad was watching Discovery Channel. We're in Africa, so he was just looking out the window. And I think my mom came in and it was just like, what do you want to name him? Like, uh, say Raymond or Reward. Just pick one. You know what I mean? So I went with reward. But true story, y'all know about what my brother's, the brother that comes after me, what his number 12 is? His name is Message. True story. 
I, it was funny. At school, they used to call them SMS. And uh, <laughs> funniest thing ever, man. They were brutal. You know what I'm talking about? And the last born doesn't even have a name. It's just 13, you know? <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, it, was, it, it, it was one of those. So because we grew up in such a family, we were taught stewardship. It was instilled in us from a very, very early age because whatever you had wasn't yours. You had to hand it down to the next person or whatever. So we were taught to take care of things. So whenever I saw how masterfully Pastor Andy navigated the conversation about stewardship, I was like, man, this makes a lot of sense because the underlying thing, if you are to, I would suggest go back and watch all of them, but if you are to take one thing away, just one thing away from all of this, I want you to know that the truth of the matter is whatever you have, it's not yours. So, so you might be paying the mortgage, right? You might have the slip. You might have the title. You might whatever, with all intents and purposes, it might be yours. But the truth of the matter is God is, uses you, and he, through you, he's able to touch all these other people. It's not yours. And that statement is so resonant uh, to me because uh, it's got a little bit of what I call uh, trauma triggers, right? In order for me to tell you this, man, I got to tell you all the story of the radio. Okay, uh, Gen Z and, and Gen Alpha, this is a radio. All right, let me try it one more time. Gen Z, this is what Spotify and Apple Music looks like without makeup on, right? It's like, so back then, back in the day, uh, this is where you would essentially get music from. And so I still remember my dad uh, shows up, and there's 13 of us. My dad had a flair for the dramatic, and you have to if you have 13 kids without iPads. How else are you going to entertain them, right? So I remember he used to work for this company, and towards his retirement, just to honor him, they gave him this radio, a much, much, much older version of this radio. But it worked the same because it's what you call a dynamo radio. And basically, y'all, this is ancient technology, y'all. What it is is you would crank this thing and it would produce the power and you could listen to music. And as long as you were cranking, the song goes on. See, that's why music was way better back then because you couldn't suck. I mean, I'm going to just stop cranking. I was like, I'm not cranking up for this and everything. So it was one of those. So my dad comes and he gathers all of us. He puts all of us around the, um, um, he puts all of us around the, the, the table. And then he's like, hey, hey, look at this. This is what I call a magic box. We're like, ah. And so he starts to crank it, right? He cranks it and cranks it. And then all of a sudden, what sorcery is this? There's music coming out of this magic box. And there's uh, voices coming out of this magic box and everything. And I'm blown away. I'm just like, oh my goodness, what is happening right now? So I'm standing kind of like the angel and the demon. I'm standing between two siblings. Now, everybody has that good sibling. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't know who they are, then uh, it's one of those. But everybody has the good sibling. There was that one. Then there's the other sibling, right? The one who just wants to see the world burn. You guys know who I'm talking about? The one who just chooses chaos every time, like cats, you know? So I had that brother. So I turned to him, unfortunately. I went a little uh, direction I need to select. And I turned to him, and I'm like, hey, can you explain this magic box? He's like, oh, it's very simple. See, what happens is uh, there's a village of little people living in this box. And what happens is when you crank the handle like this, then it releases food, and then all these little people get to eat food, and then they get happy, and they start singing and dancing and making all these noises. I was like, a genius. 
makes sense, right? <laughs> to my little nine-year-old brain and everything. And so I was like, man, yes. So we go to sleep and I can't stop thinking about this magic box. And I still remember I'm thinking, I'm going, hmm, you know what? I'm number 11, so I'm kind of the runt. My siblings don't really like me. And uh, at school, people just ignore me and everything. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open this little box where my dad goes to work, and I'm going to free all those little people, and I'm going to take them and put them in little boxes. If you think about it, that was trafficking, but I wasn't thinking that way. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to take them to school with me, and when I get there, I'm going to give every people, all the people that I want to be popular with, these little magic boxes. Now, I was going to be the African Oprah, y'all. Yeah, you get a radio. You get a radio. You get a radio. Everybody gets a radio, right? And so go to work and everything, and uh, my, my dad goes, I play hooky, I come back, and I unscrew this thing, and uh, hmm, sneaky little people. They're hiding in there somewhere. So I do what uh, Enneagram 7s do, right? Instead of backing out when you don't see a solution, you go deeper into the problem. So I go ahead and I unscrew some more components, and I'm like, oh my gosh. There's, listen, there's no happy, emancipated little people. There's no village. There's nothing but no components, and I am start freaking out. And the reason I'm freaking out is because my dad was a disciplinarian. See, my dad was a man of systems, so he had a discipline system. And what he was is he would come back from work, and my mother said someone was misbehaving, he would just grab the nearest kid, and he would just administer God's justice. <laughs> and if you're like, and then it was, if you're like, but I didn't do it, he'd be like, hey, you'll earn that one day. I know you're going to earn that. You know what I'm saying? But it's the same thing. He was a man, methodical and everything. And so I'm freaking out. Because I know that it's, there's, there's going to be a reckoning. As surely as the Texas sunrise, my father's judgment is coming. And when he came over there and he walked in and he saw his beloved possession, his magic box and components over there. Uh, okay, I can't tell you what happened because we're in church and I, we don't condone violence. But I learned that day that it is not yours. It went to the cadence of it's not yours, it's not yours, it's not yours. And I developed a radical side effect of profound respect for other people's property, right? And, uh, and the funny thing is, as we were listening about that, man, I was like, I feel like that's such an incredible lesson for us to learn that it is not ours. It's, it's, it, God has called us to radical stewardship. And how that looks like is, in order for us to completely understand what it looks like, we have to go back to the book of Genesis. Because if you want to understand the purpose of a thing, you have to go back to the manufacturer's intent. I like what someone said. They said, when purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. If you don't know the purpose of a thing, you'll abuse it with the best intentions, right? And so if we, in order for us to understand this human experience, we have to go back to the book of Genesis. And when we go back to the, Gen to the book of Genesis, we see God doing something incredible, right? He's speaking things into existence. And every time he creates something, he calls it good. And then he creates something else and he calls it good. Why? Because his divine imprint is on it. And because God is good, the things that he creates are good. And he reaches the culmination of his creative process and he decides to make a being that is good in his image and according to his likeness. So in the book of Genesis 1, 26, this is what he says. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And then he goes on. And he says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Listen to this. Then God blessed them. Before they had done anything, he spoke his divine empowerment of blessing over them. And then listen to what the blessing was. And he gave him a purpose. He says, be fruitful and multiply. So when I read this scripture, I want to talk about three things. Purpose, position, 
and provision. Purpose, position, and provision. Look at this. God said, let us make man in our image. And the word, when you do etymology, a word study, what that looks like. The word image is form. And the word likeness is not redundancy. They are different things. The word uh, and likeness is the word function. So basically, God's brilliant idea, and I know it doesn't seem this way when you look at the people around you, was let us make man in our form to execute our function. Then let us put him in a context, and as long as faithful in that context, I'm going to charge him with the responsibility of being fruitful, and as long as it's being fruitful in there, the, all my provision will flow. And that's what I say. say. God says, see, I have given you every herb that yields seed. So God has given us food for our, for, for our consumption, but also seed so that through us, his generosity can go to the ends of the earth. So the first thing is purpose I want to talk about. What is the purpose? It's right there. Fruitfulness. Your purpose is fruitfulness. Then God blessed them and said, hey, be fruitful and multiply. Now, I have to take a little bit of time into this because I know I'm communicating with a generation that has no frame of reference for fruitfulness. And we're the type of people that confuse the fruit with fruitfulness. So, so what am I talking about? See, I'm a farmer. My father was a farmer. That's why he had 13 of us, right? We were his workforce. He raised his own stash. You know what I'm talking about. But what my dad taught me is he taught me farming, and now I see the value of it. So I'm going to teach my child farming because we were, um, we were subsistence farmers, so we used to eat off the land. But what I noticed is the reason that God gives us this as the overarching analogy in everything. The agrarian analogy transcends culture and color and racial, whatever it is. People understand farming because the underlying virtue and the value behind it is sowing and reaping. It's the power of process. Because if you understand farming, you'll understand ministry, you'll understand relationships, you'll understand everything because all of those things are undergirded by the power of process. Seed, time, and harvest. But this generation, though, we're at a disadvantage because of the advancements of technology and all these things. We have gotten to a place and to a space to where we have no frame of reference for process. Right? If you're in Texas, it's, it's inst instant and unlimited everything. Right? We have microwaves. We have all of these things. So we don't understand. And because of that, we live in a generation where I can take a phone, say something funny, go viral. And by the end of the day, I have a following of people and an influence that I never worked to do, um, to get. So it's one of those things. And so because of that, even though God has called us to fruitfulness, now we exist in a space to where we're constantly looking at other people. And when we see their fruit, we think that their fruit is the epitome of success. And so we think that fruit is fruitfulness. So I'm over here. And I'm in this field that God has given me, and I'm in a completely different season as Pastor Buddy and Pastor Tom and all those people who have this platform that they've gained through faithfulness and everything. And I look and I'm like, man, I feel entitled to the type of people and the type of reach that they have, even though I haven't put in the work. But God didn't call us to fruit. He called us to fruitfulness. And what I mean by that is, look, I want to tweak your perspective and shift it because the farmer understands that if I'm called to plant a crop and I show up in the day and I do the hard work of digging in the dirt and I plant my seeds, at the end of the day, I rejoice in that because I was fruitful, even though I didn't see any fruit. And a farmer understands that the next season I show up and I see little buds, I rejoice and I do a dance and I go back and I say, man, that field is being fruitful, not because I saw any fruit, but because it's being faithful to the process. See, fruit is just a quarter of the entire 
process. But whenever we do not see fruit or whenever we compare ourselves to other people, we get discouraged. When God never called us to fruit, he called us to fruitfulness. See, if you understand it, listen, it's one of those things to where God has called every single one of us to a specific place. He planted us in a place and he called us to fruitfulness. What I'm saying is some of us right here, we're in the unglamorous work. And listen, we have toddlers. There's nothing glamorous about raising toddlers, right? It's puke and attitude all day and drool and all that kind of stuff. But hey, as you're faithful in showing up, do you know that God sees you? And at the end of the day, he rejoices that you are faithful to that assignment because in your faithfulness, there's fruitfulness. Glamour is just a call for some other people, right? The most impact happens in all those places. Listen, the first time I walked through these, the, the, the gates of Saddleback with Pastor Jason, I was blown away. My life was transformed and I was changed, not by what was said on stage, but by all the testimonies and the high fives and the handshakes and the smiles of all the greeters. People position in places that may seem obscure, but fully living out their fruitfulness and God's spirit was upon them and they were able to impact do you understand that the Bible talks about Cornelius, right? This guy was a blue-collar worker. He wasn't a priest. It wasn't one of those things. He didn't have a platform ministry. But the Bible says he would show up and do little things like he would give to the poor and he would pray. And his generosity and his prayers, things that you do in secret, came up before God as a testimonial. And God was so pleased in what he was doing in the secret that he entrusted him with something which I think is the most awesome thing ever, which is salvation for the Gentiles. Come on, somebody. He's the reason that we can eat pork chops or bacon and love Jesus at the same time. Come on, somebody. But he was entrusted with that, not because he was this great preacher, but because he was faithful in the daily grind of where God had placed him to be. And I know you may be watching here and you may be like, I don't know, I'm just a housewife or I feel like I made a, a dead-end job or I started this business and I know God called me to start this business, but I feel like it's just doing this. Listen, God delights in your faithfulness and in the fullness of time. You don't know how the seed grows when you plant it, but one day you're going to show up and there's going to be a harvest. And so I want to say, hey, if God has planted you somewhere, be faithful in that. And as your faithful fruitfulness will be what elevates you. Because when the concept, God says, hey, if you're faithful with the little, he entrusts you with much. Right? And it's one of those things. And so that is what fruitfulness is. It's your purpose. But your purpose is fruitfulness. But what is the purpose of fruitfulness? It's very simple. Fruitfulness brings glory to God. Here's another thing, John 15, verse 5 to 8. Jesus says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. It's all about abiding, y'all. If you want to have a fruitful life that impacts the world around you, anchor yourself in Jesus. Because when you do, you have something more valuable than money. Think about it. If he can entrust you with the hearts of people, right, and the joy of people, and you're out there and you're exuding the fruits of the Spirit and everything, it's like, and it's the most natural thing for you to have love and joy and peace and long-suffering. You get to impact the world without having a platform, and that is the type of things that God is talking about. So listen, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. There it is. He goes down and listen to this. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Hey, here's a quick segue for someone in this room. And uh, I'm speaking to creatives, but, but everybody that's got a call, an expressive call. I don't know, maybe it's a book, maybe it's a song, maybe it's a ministry, maybe it's something that you know that God has given you. Do, you. do you realize that here it says, the Father is glorified when we bear fruit, not if people enjoy our fruit. 
See, so many times we create, uh, for, we curate for, for consumption, and we're like, man, if people don't enjoy this, maybe I shouldn't be creating anymore. Do you understand that in this analogy, the tree it gets a full expression of its creative potential when it bears fruit, regardless of whether people enjoy the fruit? Do you understand that the farmer is glorified in this being a good plant when it bears fruit, regardless of whether people enjoy the fruit? But so many times we've been taught to think likes and the affirmation of people are what validates the call of God over our lives. But we are called to fruitfulness and obscurity. And when we do that, God is glorified. In due season, he will show your fruit to people. Because how many of you guys have ever seen a self-conscious fruit? So it's like, this mango is like, I don't know if I should grow because people don't like me because it's not mango season and everything is like, no. Because fruit understands that fruit is for the people. The process is between the plant and the farmer, and that dynamic is what God has called all of us to. Listen, you have the Spirit of God on the inside of you. The Spirit of creativity resides on the inside of you. Stop letting fear stop you from giving that thing expression. Faithfulness brings God glory, and the reason you exist is to give God glory. So open the creativity of the Spirit of God that's on the inside of you and give Him expression, and you will be blown away by what He does through your feeble yes, because across history, the most incredible things have happened when one weak person gave a feeble yes to God, and God was able to take that yes and do incredible things with it. Come on. Then the second thing I want to touch on really briefly is the simple fact that, uh, remember, there is, your purpose is fruitfulness, but there's a position. And here's the statement I want to say, right? If I am faithful where I am planted, I will be fruitful. Don't try to change context, right? For some of you, you'll be like, man, I don't like where I work, right? I don't like where I work. I want to work at Google. You know, there's no beanbags here and like, uh, you know what I'm saying? And uh, no, if God has planted you there, whatever the context looks like, glamorous or unglamorous, you stay faithful in that place. You stay faithful in that position. You know why? Because the promise to Adam and everything was, as long as he was in that garden, then the garden, the garden was watered from behind. As long as you're in the place that God has called you to, then the provision of God, which is all around you, will flow directly into you. And that's the last thing I want to say. The provision of God. Listen to this. In Christ and in my assignment, I have all things. Right? Uh, 2 Peter 1, verse 2 to 4 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. You never have to approach any situation with a mindset or a framework off and for lack, because God has made all abundance available for you. The secret is you have to be in the place of your positioning being fruitful in that space. And when you are, the promises and the abundance and the provision of God follows you because that's how he did it when he gave humanity their mandate in the book of Genesis. And here's the thing. I mean, he gave you Jesus. He gave you the best that he had to offer. And in Jesus, all of God's promises are yes and amen. If he gave you Jesus, Romans 8 says, how much more will he not give you all other things to enjoy? And I know what you're saying is like, okay, I hear you, African, I hear where you're going, but the truth of the matter is I don't see this provision, right? I know what my bank account looks like, right? And uh, I know all of this, the tomb is empty, but come on, somebody, so is my wallet, so is my refrigerator. Like, where is all this abundance that you're talking about? 
Can I challenge you about something, which I think is what this entire series has been about, challenging your perspective. Can I just say that maybe the problem, maybe your perspective, is my perspective the problem? What am I talking about? Pastor Stacy in Dead Ends to Deliverance, an incredible sermon, you should go back and watch it. She gave this incredible analogy, the mother of, unala- of, of, of all analogies, where she held up two filters. One had faith on it, and one had fear on it, and she said everything about the uh, interaction in life has to do with which of these filters are you letting or are you living life through. And so I was like, hey, man, let me repurpose that for an Instagram generation and say, hey, everything about life has to do with your perspective. Because, listen, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And so if your perspective is around fear, because both fear and faith are storytellers, right? They're projecting things in your subconscious. And fear talks about the worst case scenario. That's what it projects on your subconscious, right? But faith, it takes a hold of all the track record of God's faithfulness, and it projects the best case scenario. And because of all the inadequacies that we feel, we always find a lot of resonance with the fear lens. And the challenge that has been with this whole series is like, hey, can you switch your lens when it comes to the provision and the perspective of God because he is a good God? And I think the most profound example of this is uh, in the parable of the talents. Pastor Andy taught a masterful, uh, he did a masterful conversation on this. It was so convicted, my wife and I, on stewardship and, um, and everything that I went back and I was like, let me go back and study this. And the reason I did that is because I have what you call an ethnocentric bias. Right? No, that's not a disease. Like, there's not a cream for it or anything. But um, you know, what it is is, let me tell you what ethnocentrism is. Ethnocentrism is the evaluation of other cultures according to preconceptions originating in the standards and customs of one's own culture. And most of those are subconscious. Like, for example, there's some biblical sociologists who uh, took the parable of the prodigal son. And basically, uh, what it says is there was this son, he went to his dad, and he's like, hey, uh, I want to go to Vegas and ball, so give me my inheritance. And the dad gives him this. He goes over there, and he squanders all of it. And then he comes back, and he's broke, and he's like, hey, can I just work for you? His dad's like, nah, you're my son, and he hugs me. A beautiful story, and there's incredible parallels that talk about the all-encompassing love of God. But see, uh, they took this narrative because it's culturally resonant across multiple uh, contexts. And they asked them, they shared the story with people in different parts of the world. And they asked them this simple question, right? In one statement, why did the prodigal son fail? So they went to our neighbors in Latin America and they asked them, why did the prodigal son fail? And um, they said, oh, it's simple because he was a foreigner and nobody helped him. Then they went to the Soviet context, right? And they said, hey, why did uh, the prodigal son fail? They said, oh, it's simple. It's because there was a famine in the land, right? And then they went to the Asian context and they asked, and they said, hey, why did the prodigal son fail? They said, it's very simple. He dishonored his father. Then they came to the African context where our social philosophy is Ubuntu, which speaks uh, to value around the communal um, integration of the family model and everything. And they said, hey, why did he fail? They said, oh, it's simple. He failed because he left his family and there was nobody to help him. And they came to the West and they said, why did he fail? They're like, oh my gosh, where can I start? First of all, he made bad investments. He had no money coaching. He had zero self-discipline and he wasn't listening to motivational speakers, right? completely different cultural context. And when we look at the same story, we get different things. 
So when we look at uh, the, co the, the conversation about the talents through an ethnocentric lens, what we notice uh, when I was looking at it from a lens of oh, that had a little. We had very little growing up. So we were taught, and I always thought that this master gave them little coins. Gave them little coins and says, here's a coin for you, here's two for you, and he did this. But when I went back, I saw that a talent is actually a measure. It's a weight. So a talent was equal 6,000 denarii. And when we read the Bible, we know that a denarii was a day's wage. So it was equal 6,000 denarii or 20 years of daily wages for a six-day work week. And so I did some ghetto math, y'all, and listen. And based on the current minimum wage, that was $714,240 in California money. So he didn't just give him a coin, y'all. He gave him an industry. And this servant takes 714 k and buries it because of certain reasons. So when I was reading this the first time, I was like, man, a little coin, the master is being like, he's calling him wicked and lazy. But he did that because when I saw how much money was at stake, I understood that what he entrusted him was in industry. That there was people's expression of their purpose within his expression of that. So it is wicked and it is evil for you to let fear rob the people all over the world that could benefit with your book. Can you imagine if Pastor Rick had just decided, you know what, there's books all over, there's better authors over there, I don't know if God's going to use it, and I'm scared, people might reject me. Do you understand the purposes that would have not been realized in our generation? I don't think he knew when he woke up and was like, I am Pastor Rick, and I will write the purpose. No, he was just being faithful and fruitful in the place and the space that God has given him. And right now we're here finding full expressions of our purposes, the transformed lives that have happened simply because he said yes. So the first perspective tweak I want to ask you is, is my perspective about me or millions? Selfishness. And I know sometimes you're like, yeah, I'm afraid of rejection. I know that's a core fear that we all as humanity have. We've had daddy issues ever since we were kicked out of the garden. But listen to this. This is one of those things that I call that fear is bad math. Y'all ready for some more ghetto Texas math? Here it is, right? Uh, Robin Dunbar came up with this number, and uh, uh, basically she was like, uh, there's a number of meaningful relationships that you can have as a human being, and that's 150. It says beyond 150, you don't remember names, you don't really care about it and everything. 150, that is the number of people that are stopping your gift from manifesting and potentially touching 8 billion people which are alive today and future generations. Do you know what? That's 0.000185%. Y'all, fear is bad math. God has people's purposes hanging on the other side of your expression and your obedience. He's got people's freedom hanging on the other side of your ministry and your obedience. Do not let the lies of the enemy and the skewed value systems of the generation around you stop you from finding your full expression in God. Is your perspective about me or millions? Fear says you. God says it's millions through you. And then the second one is the second excuse that this guy said. He was like, hey, I knew you were a bad master and you wanted to reap where you did not sow. So my challenge is, is your perspective about mooch or master? In the American context, a mooch is someone who lives off of um, other people's work, like my three-month-old son. Come on, somebody. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. But um, is it, is, so this guy, right, 
did his talents and everything because he thought God was the much. And I know, I know this, right? I've been a part of this in ministry to where people were like, I don't know. The church wants my money again. And it's like, whatever. They just want to mooch off from me. Do you realize that? Listen to me. We don't give to the church. We give through the church. See, the Bible in the book of Malachi paints the perfect picture. God says, hey, bring your tithes and your offerings into my storehouse. Nobody ever hangs out in a storehouse, right? A storehouse is to bring things in so they can be sent out to different places where they can have transformation. Listen, you are so blessed because you exist in a generous house. I have never seen a church have more global impact than Saddleback. And you know why that happens? Man, I was talking to Pastor Steve Gladden before this, and he said something which I was like, wow. He says, hey, listen, transformed lives built this place. I was walking with Liz, and she kind of does security, and she was telling me a story. She was like, hey, I'm one of those people. I've been here 38 years, and I'm here because God transformed my life at Saddleback. You don't give to the church. You give to the work of God, of God globally through the church. You bring it in, and it goes out of there, right? And our perspective has to shift. I mean, think about it, right? A farmer's perspective. A farmer doesn't go over there and he's like, starts digging. He's like, you know what? This ground just wants my seed. You know what I'm saying? He's like, no. Farmers understand that when I put it in there and I trust it to the natural process, I am going to get more. And I want us to shift and have that natural perspective that we have. That's why I've loved the 90-day trust challenge because it was about shifting our perspective from thinking, oh, the church wants our money or God wants our money to it. It's like, no, through our money, he wants to transform the world and we get the blessings of what that looks like. And the final thing I want to say is, is my perspective about poverty or is it about plenty? Fear will tell you poverty, but faith will tell you plenty. What am I talking, do you guys know that poverty is a perspective? So what am I talking about? In the garden, right, we know this. God creates, listen, nature has no frame of reference for lack. Look at everything that God created, right? I mean, you look at the leaves. Can you count the leaves? No. In every season, they let everything go because new things are going to grow. Look at the sands on the seashore. You can't count them. Look at the waves and the oceans. Look at a snowstorm and every little snow, like intricate, everything that God created has no frame of reference for lack or poverty whatsoever. And Adam is put into that context, and he sees all of this, and he's having fellowship with God, and he's completely enjoying all of this, and he's doing all these things until, and I always tell my wife this, this is good Bible, y'all, until uh, his wife forces him to eat vegetables, and uh, the world goes sideways, right? But what happens when he eats the fruit, or whatever it is, I promise y'all it wasn't kale, though, but what happens when he eats the fruit? All of a sudden, did the entire world and the abundance of God around him disappear? No. Everything was still there. This beautiful bird still singing. But what happened is his perspective went myopic, selfish. And for the first time, he started focusing on that which he did not have in the face of all the abundance around him. Because poverty is a perspective. I mean, we all know people here who are poor. We all know people who are so poor that all they have is money. So poor. That they have money, but uh, it's not even like they have money. Their money has them because they are stingy and they're always protecting and trying to penny pinch and they don't get to enjoy the abundance of God around them. 
Poverty is a perspective. It's got nothing to do with what's in your pocket. I've met the most fulfilled people, and they don't have a lot because they let the abundance of God flow through them. And they are the richest people when it comes to joy and peace and excitement. They enjoy the world, and they do all these things. The lie and the narrative that this generation is propagating is that if you have less, you are less. And I want to say that God has called us to be conduits for his abundance to flow through us. And whenever it flows through us, we get blessed. And the funny thing about this, this is uh, it was one of those things to where I'm like, man, fear, fear will keep you from seeing a lot of what this looks like. And uh, I, 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 had, I had a perspective conversation with fear recently. And I had to come to a Jesus, I had to come to Jesus moment because about a month ago, Right, my wife had given birth to this, but first kid, you know what I'm saying? So she wasn't getting any sleep. When he's sleeping, she's like, I got to make sure he's breathing. Whenever he's awake, she's playing with him, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not healthy. I got to get my wife out of here, right? So I go to her, and I know she's always wanted to go to Fiji, and I come, and I'm like, surprise, babe. We get to go to Fiji. I got everything. Best husband ever. Now let me out of this doghouse. But anyways, so I do all of those things, right? And she's like, oh my gosh, babe, this is great. I'm so excited. That means we can go skydiving in Fiji. Now, I don't know how she got there, but she's a seven, so she was there, and we both were. And I'm like, hey, if that's what you want to do, I want to underscore the you. And she's like, great, let's do it. So we go to Fiji, and I still remember one morning she wakes me up um, the, before the, the final day and everything. She's like, babe, guess what? I got us in. We're going skydiving today. And I'm like, no, we're not. She's like, oh, you don't want to go skydiving with me? Emotional manipulation doesn't work with me. I'm like, no, I don't want to. I didn't agree to this. Like, oh, it's okay if you're scared. Okay, now that is reverse psychology. Works on me every time. I'm like, I am not afraid. I am an African warrior. Let us go to the jump, right? And so long story short, uh, we show up to the place, and this is crazy, y'all, because it always happens with Enneagram 7s, and she gets to meet her instructor first, and he's this guy, he's like, hey, listen, I've done this 500 times, I used to be South African Special Forces, I've jumped in rain and everything, you're going to do great, and he's checking her in, and like, whatever, my guy isn't even there yet. And I'm like, oh, man. So this guy kind of shows up, and he's got flip-flops on, and he's kind of like, whatever, and he's like, hey, that's your instructor, Jean-Luc, but he doesn't really speak much English. I'm like, oh, great. They're like, hey, Jean-Luc, Texas. So Jean-Luc goes, ooh, Texas, big hats, pew, 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 big trucks and everything. I'm like, wait, 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 what does that mean? Let's talk about it while we're still on the ground. Like, do you hate Texas? Are you from Oklahoma? Like, what's that all about? And everything. And he's like, okay. So anyways, we get on the plane and we're going higher and higher and higher and higher, right? And when we get to about 15,000 feet, they're like, all right, it's about time to jump. And so this guy, Jean, can see that, oh, man, this guy's going to kill me. This guy's getting nervous. I'm getting visibly nervous. Now, here's why I was nervous in my defense, right, as an African warrior. See, in Africa, everybody dies, but it matters how you die. And I didn't want them talking. I didn't want to be some cautionary tale around African fires for eternity, talking about how he fell, he fell from a plane. He fell out of a plane. You're listening to your wife again, you will fall out of a plane. So it's like, no, I got to die with dignity. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, so anyways, we're going high, and I'm freaking out because I'm like, man, this is how it ends for me. Right? This is for your boy. But anyway, so he can tell this. So he decides, hey, you know what? With the limited lexicon that I have when it comes to English, I I'm going to go to comedy, lighten up the mood and everything. And so he's like, hey, hey, look, look, I have GoPro, camera. Hey, you smile, I pull. You don't smile, I don't pull. I'm like, dude, worst joke ever right now, right? 
It's like, don't use comedy. That's not a good sidekick with your limited English and everything. So he can see that, okay, this guy is freaking out even more. So he tries motivational speaking. Like, oh, no, simple, simple. Listen, listen, jump is simple. See, when you jump, do like this, happy banana, happy banana. Don't be straight, like pancake. I'm like, dude, do not mention pancakes before someone, you are the worst. I mean, it was the worst motivational speaking in the history of motivation. And I think at the end of it, it was like, okay, they're just like, beep, beep, beep. I mean, it's dropping altitude. And so they open the door, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. This is the first time I've been on a plane with the door open. What am I doing? And he can tell I'm freaking out, so he was just like, let me just talk to the guy. He's like, listen, hey, 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 listen. He grabs me, he looks at me. He's like, I, 200 jumps, I'm good jumper. Say, so see this, it's parachute. He grabs it. He's like, this, good parachute. I got you. Now let's go. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. He opens, and it's like, one, two, we lean out, and nirvana. No. This picture right here describes exactly what happened, y'all. Boom. <laughs> Your boy starts freaking out. And y'all, listen, listen. This is why I'm freaking out. Because for the first time, I realized, I'm like, wait a second. There's nothing else black up here. I'm just the only one. There's no crows or ravens don't fly this high. There's no black hawks. There's just whiteness. There's just clouds and everything. And me and Pam, what am I doing over here? So I start freaking out. And he can tell from the shaking. He's like, oh, my gosh. So here's what he does. Here's what he does. He's like, hey, 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 hey. So he pulls the parachute, and then he taps me. He's like, hey, listen, 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 listen. And by the way, this is Pam's picture, y'all. This is Pam the whole time. <laughs> I was so mad at her. I'm like, man, Pam's having the time of her life. <laughs> but, but, you know, <laughs> and so, so I'm freaking out. But then here's what he does. So he pulls the parachute, right? And it's like, whatever. And then we start floating. And then he's like, and I'm over here, and my eyes are closed right now. I'm just like, let this be over. Let this be over. You know what I'm saying? I still wake up in cold sweats about that, by the way. But then he taps me. He's like, hey, hey, look. The parachute, good. Like, me, good. Now fly. And then all of a sudden, I look down, and I look at the most profound beauty that I've ever seen. The islands of Fiji, right? I'm seeing all the mountains of Fiji. I'm seeing the, the, the perspective of the angels. And this whole thing, the entire time I was jumping and freaking out, all of this stuff was right there. But my perspective was so myopic and focused on survival that I was missing all the abundance and the beauty that was all around me. And I remember that Dr. Seuss statement. He says, it's open there in the wild open air. And then this is what he says. He says, welcome to my office. It's like, you nailed it, Frenchman. That is the one. You got one. You nailed the perfect one. But, but as we're flying and as we're talking about this and as we're preparing about this, I, I had a conversation with Andy, and I was like, hey, Andy, you've been talking about money and you've been talking about Where would you like me to land this conversation? He's like, oh, man. I want you to land it where it all started. The goodness of God. Because remember, everything that he created, he put his divine imprint on it and he called it good because he is good. And Andy was like, hey, I want you to land it on the goodness of God. Because if they understand the goodness of God, they'll understand that God would never take from them. That God just wants to bless them. That God has been good a long time. That his faithfulness will be good like that parachute that God is a good instructor 
that the land, the place that you're sowing all these things is good and that generosity is good. So if you don't mind, could you just stand up with me? I want to say a prayer over us. But here's where I want us to posture our hearts and our perspective. In prayer and preparation, I felt like the challenge from the Lord was this simple thing. He wants you to entrust Him, to transfer your trust and entrust Him with your faithfulness and your fruitfulness. Wherever you're positioned, trust that God is the one that placed you there. He knows exactly what He's doing. And in the fullness of time, He will elevate you to be the master of many because that is a promise. And the second thing I feel like God wants you to trust Him with is your fear. And fear is a natural response because every time God calls us into something, it's always going to be bigger than we ever thought it is. But there's so much freedom in flying on the other side of our fear. And I feel like in this room and online and across the world, God wants you to entrust Him with those two things. Your faithfulness, which becomes fruitfulness, and your fear. And so I'd love for you guys to just close your, hand, your eyes and, uh, and just bow your head and just, let's just take 10 seconds to do that right now. Take 10 seconds, say, Father, I give you my context. I, I thank you for this position. Father, I give you my fear. I know you call me to write that book. I know you call me to start that business. I call, I know you call me to move to that city. I know you call me to step out in faith, to be in that relationship, to open up my heart. I know you call me to, to renew that dynamic, whatever it is. So I give you my fear because you are good. And I anchor all of my hopes on your goodness on your grace so father i just speak your blessing over every single person that's in this room and i thank you that because you are good they're good their money is good their relationships are good their resources are good and i thank you in jesus mighty name amen thank you for listening to this weekend message from saddleback church if you like this please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more Weekend Message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.